0: So, all right, well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to <clears throat> Romans chapter 16. We're going to do just about the whole chapter today, with the exception of the last three verses. We'll cover those next week, and it'll be somewhat of a, um, a cap to the book. We'll do a proper ending to our journey through Romans next week. What we have before us today in this text is uh, a lengthy farewell from Paul to those who are in Rome. A lot of interesting names that are mentioned. I believe there's something like 26 names to 28 names that are are named by Paul. A lot of significance in these names. A lot of diversity in these names. And we'll get into a little bit of that. But what we see here in this text is the family that exists in in the church, in the early church. You know, Paul is writing to these folks from a long way away. He's never even been to Rome, yet he knows a lot of the Christians who are there in Rome. Clearly, he has crossed paths with them in in different places at different times. But what we see in this is the affection that Paul has, the love that he has, the appreciation that he has for his brothers and sisters and uh you know that's that's one of the the glorious things about the body of christ the church so i titled this message it's a family thing you know we're not to be lone ranger there is no such thing as a lone ranger christian an isolated christian we praise god for the church we praise god for the family that we have in each other in christ you know we live in a society that is very individualistic it's all about the person it's all about the individual It's become increasingly isolated, and I think more so as technology has accelerated. But it hasn't been this way throughout much of history. People have understood the necessity of community for survival, quite frankly, and for so many other reasons. But the church has also understood this. It's always been about the kingdom of God or the body of Christ. It's always been about the whole, not each individual person so much. It's about something that's greater than ourselves, being a part of something that is bigger and something that is very special and beautiful, the body of Christ. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us apart from his own son is each other. And I think some of us, maybe many of us in this room know this. We understand this. We've experienced this. You know, I heard a brother talking um, just last week about how he had been away from community for so long, and he was back in community, and it was so special to him, he felt like he was in the promised land. And that is so sweet, man. That is what I want to hear, and that's a beautiful thing, and that is what it is like in so many ways. And so it's one of the greatest gifts. You know, some people have never come to fully understand this or experience it. That was my story for probably the first five, six years of my Christian walk, just uh, bouncing from church to church, never really becoming a, a part of a body, not really getting to know people, not allowing people to get to know me, never getting past that awkward stage. You know what I'm talking about? It just has that awkward stage, and I never would get past that to the point where the people were my friends and my family and that I I was very comfortable around them and, and vice versa. Many people are stuck in that place. Some people just don't see the value or the necessity of it. You'll hear people say things like, I don't need to go to church to be saved. Now, that's a true statement. You don't have to go to church to be saved. You're saved through faith in Christ Jesus by God's grace. Amen? But if you're saved, you're going to understand and desire and value what we have in Christ as a body, as a family, as a community. It's kind of like baptism. You know, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but if you're saved, you have to be baptized. Well, you don't have to be in Christian community to be saved, but if you're saved, you need to be in Christian community. It's just the way that it is. And some people have had bad experiences in this before they have. And there's probably no shortage of these kinds of stories. And so they've decided they're never going to risk it again. They're not going to make themselves vulnerable. They're not, they're not going to you know, go back to a church. And I've, I've seen people in that place too, unfortunately. But you know, there are just you know, people who will fight to the death on this. They will not be a part of a body of Christ, even if they go to church. You know it wasn't until i started teaching here regularly that i started noticing that we had stealth church attendees i mean these guys would come in when the teaching started so it was after the worship after the meet and greet time and they would leave before the pastor could say amen and you see them and i was on a rotation with pastor bill at the time there was this one brother in particular just all the time and so i was teaching in the youth ministry uh, at the time as well on a rotation. So Bill was teaching one day and I was coming out of the youth room and there he was. He was sneaking out the back door. And I just grabbed him I'm like, dude, come on, please just, you know, be a part of the body here. I, I got him a card for a life group and tried to get him to plug in. He just wouldn't do it, you know, and I don't know why that is. But, you know, there are a lot of folks that are just in that place. And I have to say, I, I prefer that over people not coming at all. You know, if if you if people insist on just kind of showing up and being undetected uh, and and sitting under the teaching of, of the word from afar, I get that. I would I would prefer that over nothing at all. But that's just not the whole thing. It's not the full experience. God never intended for us to live the Christian life in isolation, and that's why we at Calvary Napa we have that distinctive that God's people gather. We believe in the fellowship of the saints and community and gathering together as a family. And, you know, it's it's odd to be talking about this at a time when we're getting ready to have to probably go back into these restrictions in one form or another. But, you know, that's why we want to do whatever it takes to be able to still gather in the midst, even if it is inconvenient, even if it is freezing cold, even if it is fill in the blank. We still want to be together as best we can. And so it's just so important. You know, an an isolated Christian is a contradiction in terms. Those words just don't don't fit together. A Christian that isolates is in dangerous territory. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment or wise counsel. So when you see someone isolating, that's usually a, a bad sign. To be together to love God's people to love God's children that indeed is a marker that we have passed from death to life you know i've i've known christians who who kind of boast about their disdain for other christians they'll say things like i love god but i hate his children and you know that's you can laugh at that and maybe even think that's a little cute but that is that is a, a really sad statement uh, there is something deadly wrong with that kind of thinking. Undoubtedly, God's people have misrepresented Him and continue to do so more often than I think any of us wish uh, would happen. But that—that that, you know, we're messed up people, are we not? None of us are ever going to represent God, you know, fully as as we wish that we would. It's just part of it. But the Bible says that one of the markers of having passed. From death into life is loving each other, loving God's children. First John 3:14 says that. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. It says he who does not love his brother abides in death." And so this is serious. And this is what we're going to see in our text today, this love, this intimacy, this community. It's a diverse group of Christians that have served together and even suffered together. They may be separated by great distance, but the love is very apparent in the words of Paul towards the saints in Rome. It's a family thing. So if you're in Romans chapter 16, picking up in verse one, we have three main points today in our text. The first is family is to be welcomed. The second is family is to be appreciated. And the third is family is to be preserved or protected. So point number one, family is to be welcomed. Verse one, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So Paul says, I'm, I'm sending this sister to you, Phoebe, and I commend her to you. She's a servant, a servant of the Lord in the church of Centria, And so this word for servant actually appears to be the word for deacon. And so she was a deaconess, we believe, a female deacon in the early church in this town right outside of Corinth called Centria, And you know, there's a, a lot of uh, different... Views and ideas about the the role of deacon and, and many churches would say that it's it 's purely for men, some churches would say it 's for men and women, and part of that is because um, people will oftentimes mix deacons with elders and it's it 's two very different things and so the oftentimes churches are governed by the deacons, and that 's not really the the biblical model. the church is to be governed by elders, pastors, overseers, in the church, and then you have those who are uniquely gifted, it would seem, to serve the physical needs, which are very important, very important in the church. And God has called both men and women to this very special task. And so um, you see this even here um, in Paul's writings, that he refers to this sister who appears to be a deaconess in a town that is right outside of Corinth. And so that's significant. She's, she's right next to where Paul is writing from. As I've said many times before, he's writing from Corinth. And he says, she's been a helper to me. She has served him faithfully. And we believe that she's the courier of the letter that we're reading right here. So Paul wrote this letter from Corinth. Phoebe was a sister, a deaconess in the next town over. And she took the letter and brought it to Rome on behalf of the Apostle Paul. And so he says that when she comes, I want you to receive her. Now, we've talked about this before, this idea of receiving. Remember, we're talking about being welcoming here. We're to be a family that welcomes people. Paul said, receive her. That means open heart, open arms. Receive her. Welcome her in. Embrace her. We talked about how that same word is used in Philemon. Paul is talking to Philemon. He says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I want you to receive him as you would me, my very heart. Receive him. And so that's Paul's instructions. You've got a sister, a faithful sister, who is coming to you on my behalf, and I want you to welcome her in. I want you to embrace her. She's been faithful. And he says, to do so in the Lord, in the Lord. That's a significant statement. The New Testament uses it often. And so I think that it could be understood in in a few different ways. To receive someone, to welcome someone in the Lord, it's to do so as one who belongs to the Lord. Look, she is a servant of Jesus. She loves the Lord. She is a daughter of God. You should treat her like that. You should honor her in that way. You should receive her as such. I think it speaks to uh, as the Lord would see fit. That's God's expectation for His children. We are to receive His people. We are to receive one another in His name. That's what God expects. And I think that you could also say that this in the Lord uh, means as you would the Lord Himself. As we would receive the Lord, we should receive His children with, with welcoming arms, with warm embrace. Paul expects the Christians there in Rome to welcome Phoebe when she comes. And he says to do so in a manner that is worthy of the saints. That is, as is fitting or consistent with being a saint. You know, some people in in here probably, you probably are thinking, I'm not much of a saint. I'm more of an ain't. Right? But the Bible says that if we're in Christ, we are a saint. We are called out. Called out of the world set apart unto Christ. We are His and we belong to Him. And if that is you, then there is an expectation that we are to be people who welcome others in. That we receive them in a way that is fitting of the saints. Saints should know how to receive others better than anyone else on the earth. Better than anyone else on the earth because we have been received. The saints of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus, are people who have been received by the Lord. Romans fifteen seven says therefore receive one another just as christ also received us to the glory of god so we have been received and we really weren't worthy to be received it wasn't anything that we deserved it wasn't because we were so lovely or you know i mean oftentimes there are people that that you know we might even be repelled by that 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 frankly i think in some ways would better describe who we were and how we were outside of christ but christ still received us because of his great love because of his great grace and so if we have been received how much more are we to receive to welcome to open our heart and our arms to others and to embrace people right And so that's what Paul is saying to the Christians here in Rome. I'm sending this sister to you. I want you to receive her in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints. As people who have been received of the Lord, you should receive her as well. And he says to assist her in whatever needs she has. And so she may have also been there on some official business. And Paul is instructing the saints to serve her as the needs present themselves. Assist her. Serve her welcome her so as followers of Jesus we want to be a welcoming church do we not is that not our desire is that not the Lord's expectation we want to be an assisting church we want to be people who welcome people in the name of the Lord and who assist the needs of others you know when I came on as the pastor here one of the things I really wanted to see our church grow in was being a reaching church And I praise God, I feel like we're seeing the fruit of that. We're seeing that happen. People are reaching out. People are inviting. People are being reached. But one thing I understood is is that if we're not a welcoming church, then we might as well not even be an inviting church or a reaching church. What good would it be to invite people here if they weren't going to be welcomed when they walk through those doors? If they weren't going to be received in a way that is fitting of the saints? And so, you know, I, I hope that you've been made to feel welcome in this place. I hope that we are a church of welcoming people, that, that you are welcoming others. And honestly, I've been so encouraged to see, and I would say that we are that, you know, I've been welcomed. I got to tell you, I was welcomed in such a special way when I came here. And I've continued to see that same heart expressed towards other people, just One after another after another. And it's been such a sweet thing to be able to watch. You know, I know it's scary. It's scary for all of us, I think, to reach outside of ourselves and to try to engage and interact with other people that we don't know. Can we we admit that? Can we acknowledge that? But as I've said before, it's so much scarier for the new person that's walking through the doors to do that. So we all know each other. We have the advantage of being familiar with each other already. So it's so much easier for us to get outside of ourselves and to be those who welcome other people. And so that was Paul's expectation for the Christians there in Rome. And that was his expectation for them towards Phoebe. This brings us to our second point. Family is to be appreciated. You know, as I have said already, Paul really loved his brothers and sisters and it was very obvious. We see this in the text. We're going to see now Paul begins to greet all of these people. And as I said, there are like 26 names mentioned here approximately. And he goes out of his way to say something kind about most of them. And so, you know, in, in the past, I think I've talked a lot about how when we do things for the Lord, when we serve the Lord, we shouldn't be doing it for recognition. We shouldn't get our feelings hurt if we don't receive some sort of applause or thank you, or or if we get overlooked somehow. And, and that's that's a true statement. But you know, I think I could go too far with that. I think there's something that's really special about being appreciated. I think everybody desires to feel appreciated on some level. And to be that kind of person, to show appreciation towards one another, that's just part of building up. That's part of encouragement in the body of Christ is expressing appreciation one to another. Welcoming each other in the name of the Lord, appreciating each other for, for all of the different things that, that each person brings to the body of Christ. And that's a special thing. It's something that we are to do. And you know, sometimes maybe you feel like you haven't been appreciated or people aren't being very friendly to you. You know, that's, that's something that you hear at, at times in the church is, people haven't been that friendly to me and you know my response to that is are you being a friend to somebody else are you being friendly you know sometimes we can get caught up on on feeling like we're not appreciated or people aren't being very friendly to us when you know and maybe even I'm going to leave this church for that that reason I'm going to go somewhere else but the the answer truly scripturally is is you need to be an initiator And so we need to be friendly. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Right? It makes sense, does it not? And so we want to be people who show appreciation one to another. I mean, First and foremost, we appreciate the Lord. We appreciate the Lord for who He is and all that He has done for us. We worship Him, but then we appreciate each other. Where I'm from, we say, appreciate you appreciate you that really caught on pastor bill used to love that and so he he really got kind of stuck in that appreciate you and the response would always be appreciate you that's how that works so appreciate you appreciate you and so we want to be a church of appreciators and so that's what we're going to see here paul really appreciated his brothers and sisters in rome so we're going to get into this list of names before us i don't want to spend too much time i don't want to get too lost in the weeds here Uh, But there are a lot of names that are mentioned and some some very significant names, we think. Now, some of this is speculation. It's neither here nor there. But as you read different commentators and historians and and people of the like, there's a lot of agreement on who some of these people may actually be in this time and place in history. And I think it's, it's interesting to simply make note of. So I will do that as we go. So here we have under family is to be appreciated a this is verses 3 through 16 greetings from Paul to Rome so verse 3 greet Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house greet my beloved Aponidas who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ so first up here, Paul mentions Priscilla and Aquila, and these names should be familiar to you. We, we do see this couple several times throughout the New Testament, and Paul first met them in Acts chapter 18. Paul was on his second missionary trip. He was in Corinth, and he came across this couple here. Now, the reason that they were there is because there had been some kind of an uprising that took place in Rome amongst the Jews at this time, and Emperor Claudius banned all the Jews. He, uh, he just kicked them out, dispelled them from Rome. And there was a, uh, a, a historian, I think his name was Suetonius. Please forgive me if, if, I, if I got the name wrong or mispronounced it there. But he, uh, he spoke of this, this rebellion that happened there. He said that it, it was over somebody by the name of Christus. And uh, we, we believe that to be a reference to Jesus Christ. And he mispronounced the name, kind of not even really knowing who the guy was or what this was all about. What we believe was happening was that people were coming to faith in Christ in Rome in extraordinary ways, and the Jews were getting very upset about this And the synagogues, and there was finally a riot that took place, so Claudius just said, all right, you're all out, and he dispelled the Jews from Rome at that time, and, and so Priscilla and Aquila ended up in Corinth, and by God's providence, they crossed paths with Paul. We know that by trade, they were all tent makers, And so Paul worked alongside them and served alongside them, and they were such a blessing to Paul's ministry and to many others. Paul says of them that they were his fellow workers in Christ Jesus and that they risked their own necks for his life. We don't know exactly what he's referencing there, but uh, it could be a riot that happened in Ephesus because immediately after that, Paul left Corinth, went to Ephesus, and they, they went with him. And there's much more that we could say about this couple, but we know that they were near and dear to Paul's heart. They served faithfully alongside Paul. Paul thanked them, and he said, along with all the other Gentiles. So they had clearly had a far-reaching um, impact on a lot of folks around them. And then Paul says, greet the church that is in their house. So they, they opened their home up. And so at that time, they didn't have buildings. They didn't meet in buildings like we, we would here And so it was a a much smaller and intimate kind of setting, but the Christians would meet in other people's homes. And Priscilla and Aquila had opened up their home, and they were a house church there. And so well known among the saints, and Paul honors them, and he expresses his appreciation for them. They're clearly back in Rome at this point, and so that ban had been lifted. And many of the Jews that had been expelled out of Rome have now come back to Rome. And then Paul says greet Eponidas, who was the first fruits of Achaia, which most likely he was the first person that came to Christ there in Corinth amongst Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, and now he is back in Rome with them. And so Paul has a very special place in his heart for this, for this guy because he was one of the first converts there in Corinth with Paul. Paul goes on in verse 6, he says, greet Mary who labored much for us, greet Mary. Uh, Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen who, uh, and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So Paul mentions this sister by the name of Mary. We don't know anything else about her except that she labored much for Paul. And then Andronicus and Junia. This could be um, a husband and wife. It's, this could be two male names. We're not sure. Junia could be a male or a female Um, But Paul says that these are his fellow countrymen. They were clearly Israelites. They may have even been of the same tribe as Paul, uh, a Benjamite. But he says that they were fellow prisoners. So evidently they had uh, been incarcerated with Paul for for some time. And so he had a special bond with them for that reason, you know. Paul uh, spoke often. You know, it just seemed like a bunch of, of Paul's friends were from prison. You know, he had a lot of homies from prison. And um, I remember I was talking with a guy one time and he was just really going on and, and uh, about how churches ought to be and the kind of qualifications, credentials they ought to have and kind of all that he does and his studies. And, and he's sort of pressing in on me a little bit. And I said, well, in our church, the more prison time you've done, the more qualified you are to be a pastor. So <laughs> didn't quite know what to do with that one. And so... Uh, You know, that's just it. With Paul, so many of his uh, fellow laborers were, were fellow cellmates. And he says that they were noteworthy among the apostles. That's a huge commendation right there, that the apostles knew who these folks were, that they had served in such a way that they had that kind of reputation. And then he even states that they had been in Christ longer than he had. So some have speculated that perhaps... They came to Christ back in, uh, at, at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, there in, in Jerusalem, and had served uh, in very wonderful ways, and that even the rest of the apostles knew who these folks were. And so Paul really appreciated them and, and honored them as such. Verse 8 it says, Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved, greet Apellus, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. So another, another little chunk here of names. Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. So this was possibly a slave in Caesar's household. There is some ornate tomb uh, amongst the catacombs, and it has this, this inscription on it of Amplius. And there are many people who, who believe that they have good reason to believe that it's this, this actual guy mentioned here. We don't know that, obviously, but some people believe that. And then we have Urbanus. He says, my fellow worker in Christ. Now, this was a very common slave name, and we see that. A lot of these names here that Paul mentions are, are very common slave names, and I think there's something very significant about that, and I'll kind of come back to that in just a moment. But then we have Stachys, my beloved, and this was an, a very uncommon name. Again, possibly of the household of Caesar, and this would be a person of great prominence, it was believed. And so you had folks who were slaves, you had freedmen, you had people that were uh, very high in status, and the people of society who were, who were nobodies in, in society's eyes. There's a, a Latin term I'll, I'll, I think I'll mention it next week in my sermon i can't remember if it was a latin term or not please forgive me but basically the idea is is they are people without a face is the idea they're they're not people they have no personality that's the way they were seen but not with christ not in the church the ground is absolutely level at the cross and so in man's eyes you may have people are who are of great you know stature and status but then you have people who aren't, but they're all, it's all level with Jesus. It's the the great equalizer, if you will. And so small or great, Paul, he he commends them all before the Lord, he greets them all. And then Apollos here, approved in Christ, that literally means tested and proven, uh, kind of the authenticity. And so we don't really know what that means, except something had happened that uh, tested him greatly, and he withstood the test. Possibly some sort of horrific persecution that he he uh, faced, and he passed the test, and he was a proven man. People knew who he was uh, for for this reason. And then then the the household of uh, Arist- Aristobulus. I, I keep. Can't keep up with how, how I want to pronounce these names. I, I'll have it in my head and then I go to read it and I'm like, you know, Aristobulus. It's been said that he was the brother of Herod the Great, or excuse me, Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. Does anybody in here remember who Herod the Great was? He was the one who tried to have all the children killed to take out baby Jesus. That, that was Herod the Great. And so this guy is believed to be the grandson of Herod the Great. But it's his household that is is mentioned here, not not him. And I think there's some significance to that. And then those who are of the household of Narcissus. How would you like to have that name? And we know something about this guy. He was a rich, influential man who made his fortune by way of bribery through close association with the Emperor Claudius. In that time, he was a secretary. People wanted to have... uh, have face time with this emperor and he could facilitate that at, at a price. And so he was, he was um, a crooked guy, but he was very wealthy, very influential. And his household is also mentioned here. So uh, it, we don't believe that Aristobulus or Narcissus were believers of the, in the Lord, but it was people in their own household, their families, possibly even slaves. But these again are the people that Paul is greeting. And then verse 12, he says... Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. So Tryphena and Tryphosa, it literally means delicate and dainty. And it's believed that they were probably twins, uh, at the least sisters. And, it's, uh, and then Persis is mentioned here, which literally means Persian woman. And it was said of, of these ladies that they had labored much in the Lord. So I think you know it could be a little bit of a play on words here that you know they were delicate and dainty until they came to Christ, and now they were hard workers. They they labored much in the Lord. And and this this idea of laboring here it's it's until one's energy is completely exhausted, expended, just labored to the point of absolute exhaustion. That was that was. Um, what was you know, said of, of these women and their, their ethic in serving the Lord and serving Paul. And he showed appreciation to them for that. He really encouraged them in that. And then we have verse 13 here. This is really interesting. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So many people, if not most people, believe that this Rufus here is the son of Simon the Cyrenian. Anybody know who Simon the Cyrenian is? You remember him? He was the guy that carried the cross of, of Jesus when Jesus couldn't carry the cross beam anymore. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, now Mark is writing, uh, we believe, from Rome, this book, this gospel. It says here in 1521 Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And so they believe that you know Rufus was a well-known man there in Rome, and that when Mark wrote the gospel, he made mention of the fact that Rufus was the son of Simon. And here Paul is also greeting the same Rufus. And that's just so fascinating to me, that this guy would have carried the, the cross beam for Jesus right there, and then to go back home, undoubtedly, his wife clearly came to the Lord because Paul commends Rufus' mom as his own mother. You know, he greets Rufus' mom and says she's like my mom, too. And, and to think the, uh, that his children came to Christ and then his son Rufus was a prominent member of the church there in Rome, it's just really fascinating stuff. I've always thought about that. Could you imagine to to have the honor to be able to carry the cross beam for Jesus like that what that must have been like what that must have done to him and you see the impact that it clearly had on his family there and they were well known Paul says chosen in the Lord the idea is choice in the Lord there's something significant here about about this statement and about how uh, the kind of man that Rufus was in the church and how well known he was amongst the people and then of course Paul appreciates Rufus' mom, Simon's wife. He says, she was like a mother to me. And so she somehow really served and cared for Paul in such a way that he had that kind of affinity towards her. And that's how it is in the body of Christ, you know. Uh, I have many moms in this place, as it were. Dear sisters in the Lord, dear brothers in the Lord, fathers in the Lord, and that's such a sweet thing. Brothers, little brothers in the Lord, you know, I mean, you've got it all. And that's the way that it should be in the body of Christ. And that was the way that it was for Paul. In verse 14, it says, Greet Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, And the brethren who are with them, greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The church of Christ greet you. So not much is said about these individuals here in this list. Just a common greeting that Paul gives to them. And then this admonishment to greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll talk about that in a moment. But there is one name in here that, that seems to be very significant, and it is Nereus. Now, David Guzik says of, of uh, this guy that in A.D. 95, there were two distinguished Roman uh, Romans, Flavius, Clemens, and Domitilla, his wife. They were condemned for being Christians, so they were killed. They were executed because of their testimony. The husband was executed, and his wife was banished. So his wife was not executed. Excuse me. Well, the name of their servant was Nereus, and this may be the same Nereus mentioned here, and he may be the one who brought the gospel to them. It's pretty, pretty fascinating. Uh, Domatilla, uh, her grandfather, if I'm not mistaken, would have been Titus Vespasian. He was uh, the the general that came in and took uh, conquered Jerusalem and. They burned it down to the ground and he became an emperor. And her uh, uncle would have been, um, anyways, he was one of the worst persecutors of the church. And, uh, and this may be who this is. And again, we don't know that. That's pretty significant. And so we note the admonishment here that Paul gives to these folks. He says to greet one another with a kiss. And that's simply to say, show honor, to have affection amongst one another now obviously this isn't something that we we really follow so much in in our culture in our day and age and we're especially in a time right now where we've been told that we're supposed to distance and we we can't have those that kind of warmth and that's that's really unfortunate you know but what Paul is getting at here is he's you know a lot of these people this is their family now a lot of times when people would name the name of Christ they would lose their family They were no longer welcomed by their family. They were no longer appreciated by their their family. And so now the body of Christ is their family. That's the only family that they have. And Paul says, I want when people come into your midst for them to feel the warmth of Christ. I want them to be embraced. I want them to feel welcomed in with open arms and an open heart. And that, that should mark the Christian church. You should see that. And uh, in, in a body of Christ, in a community. And so it may look different uh, from culture to culture, and it, it certainly looks a little different right now, as things are. Uh, but churches ought to be a place where there is that kind of embrace, that kind of love. All right, now we're going to skip ahead, because we're talking about the appreciation of Paul for the saints there in Rome. And then we'll come back. So if you'll skip ahead with me to verse 21. Paul is now going to give um, some greetings from his compatriots who are there with him in Corinth. And then we'll kind of come back. So I'm taking this text a little bit out of order here just to kind of keep, keep the flow. So Paul has encouraged them to welcome Phoebe to be a welcoming church. Paul is greeting the Christians there in Rome personally. And he's going to send some greetings by way of his compatriots who are there with him in Corinth. So look at verse 21. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen. Sosipater is probably the more accurate way to say that. My countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you and the Lord. So as was typical, Paul usually had a group of men with him and women that he would serve with where where he went. He had co-laborers in the Lord. And so these were some of his fellow workers and they just wanted to send their greetings as well. They also appreciated the Christians there in Rome and they wanted to send their love as well. And then in verse 22 there, really interesting, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So Paul had an amanuensis. This is someone who wrote for him. He would dictate to them. They would copy it down. And and it may be, uh, and this could be a little bit of a clue for us, that Paul had uh, eye problems. There are a number of of things that come up in the Scriptures that seem to indicate this. That Paul had some incessant problem with his eyes and that he couldn't see. And, And there's actually a number of things that come up for us. But he actually makes a reference to this, to the Galatians, They loved him so much. He said, I know you would take out your own eyes and give them to me if you could. And he often had people who would write for him. And so that's what we have here. Tertius kind of jumps into this point and says, and I'm greeting you too. I'm writing this letter for Paul and I'm sending my greetings as well. And then verse 23 says, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you and Cordus, a brother the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen so paul paul appears to be living in the house of gaius here in corinth and it appears that gaius is also a host of a church there so imagine that this guy paul is living in this guy's house and the church is meeting in this guy's house and uh, that would be a pretty cool situation to to get to, to be a part of and Paul sends greeting from Gaius and his household and the church in his home there. And then he mentions Erastus, the city treasurer of Corinth. And so people were clearly coming to faith uh, there in Corinth and Had. And we have a wide range of folks mentioned here who are sending their greetings to their brothers and sisters there in Rome. All right, and this brings us to our third and final point in our sermon. So you can go back to verse 17 this is family is to be preserved you know, family is to be protected so family is to be welcomed family is to be appreciated but family is also to be preserved it's something we got to fight for to maintain family you know family looks out for one another does it not to have one another's back to have each other's back that's what family does You know, sometimes that means taking up for someone else. Sometimes that means actually confronting someone in your own family, in love and in truth, saying the hard things, you know, saying the necessary things, even when it hurts. All of that, all that comes with being part of family. But here, I think what Paul is getting at is is for the sake of preserving family, there has to be. An individual strength and a corporate strength that comes through doctrinal purity and strength of character. So That's kind of the idea here. Paul, some people feel like this is kind of an awkward point in the text. He goes from this greeting to this warning, but it makes absolute sense. Paul is expressing his love for these people who are his brothers and sisters. And then he would immediately go into, therefore, he would warn them. He would warn them about how to maintain and preserve that unity and that family that they have there. And it comes in doctrinal purity and strength of character. So first thing we see here in verses 17 and 18 is family is to be preserved through purity of doctrine. Verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. He says, I urge you. This is a a very heavy word. It's it's a serious and urgent plea. He says, I want you to note those who cause divisions and offenses among you. Mark them out. Take note of who they are. Pinpoint who they are. See, unity in the body of Christ was something that was so very important to Jesus, important to Paul, it's important to us. For the life and the vitality of the church. Unity can't have community without unity. It's a precious thing. It's something that is to be fought for, protected, and preserved. And Paul warns them to mark those who would do do damage to that in the church. He says, I love you. You love me. I greet you in the name of the Lord. And I want you to watch out for people that would come into your midst and try to do damage to that, to that family, the, the family bond that is happening. You know, this may sound harsh to some people, but it's imperative. You know, sometimes people, I'm surprised that people get offended when you name names of people who are clearly, clearly charlatans and false teachers who are spewing the worst of the worst false doctrine. And they they just, the kind of reproach that they bring on the name of Christ. And then you mention somebody like that and you say, watch out for that person and people can actually take offense at that. But Paul says you need to point them out. You need to mark those people. And he says that they come uh, contrary to the doctrine which you learned. So teaching is the issue. False teaching. And so we have to take seriously false teachers and false teaching in the church. You know, faulty doctrine and the philosophies of the world that creep in. And that stuff is just prevalent. Prevalent. You know, I mean there's a lot of false teaching going on out in the church abroad right now, but more than that, it's the philosophy of the world. And it's never ending. And there are all of these very, you know, new, if you will, I mean there's nothing new really, but there's there's all of this this new movement afoot out in the world, the philosophy of man that is being crammed down the church's throat. You know what I mean? And people are falling for that stuff. People are eating it up, and it will do damage to the church. Colossians actually talks about that. You know, the traditions of men, the philosophy of, of the world around us, and to not be deceived by that stuff. And so we're told to note, note that. Be vigilant. Watch out for it. Take it seriously. Don't be duped by it. Be, be aware of these things. You know, my pastor in South Carolina used to say, we need to think critically. He said, don't be a critical stinker, but think critically. Think critically. And that, there is so much wisdom in that, folks. You need to think critically. Are you, do you think critically about what you believe and why you believe it and the kind of stuff that, that is going on out in the church abroad in the world that we live in? Or do you just buy anything? Are you blown away by any wind of doctrine that blows through the church? This is so important for us if we're going to preserve community and unity and family in the church to protect one another with these kinds of things. He says in verse 18, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. So he says these people, they don't serve the Lord. They serve themselves. They serve their own bellies, their own appetites. And he says they deceive the hearts of the simple. They take advantage of the vulnerable. They do so with smooth words and flattery. And I've seen this and heard this so many times over the years. You know, people that are deceived by this stuff and they give their money, they give all that they've got to these people out there, these hucksters and charlatans and and, and health and wealth and prosperity people and all of that stuff. And so Paul says, watch out, because they come with smooth words and flattery. You know, deceivers don't often look like the devil. They just don't. They, they, they look believable. They, they look and sound convincing. They're good salesmen. They win people over. They come with plausible and persuasive teachings. So, you know, we have to think critically. So this is just, you know, do, do you often encourage people by, by sharing, um, you know, sermons and teachings and things like that with other people? I hope you do it's a good thing to do, but I can't, I cannot, I cannot stress this strongly enough. Watch out who you are listening to and who you are sharing with other people. The kind of stuff that, that people are sharing with other people. You know, I, I like to listen to a number of different folks, and I'll listen to people in different streams, but I'm very careful about the kind of stuff that I'm taking in, and I, I need you to be very careful about the kind of stuff that you guys are taking in and sharing with other people. All right, uh, B here, preserved through strength of character, verses 19 through 20. He says, For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So he says, Your obedience is known to all. You got a solid reputation. You got a solid reputation. Paul said, For that I am so glad. And in that I do rejoice, but there's more, there's more. He says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple in what is concerning evil. You know, some of us have been like special forces in sin. You know, that, my, my background, I was just trained up in the ways of lawlessness from, from a youth. And so I feel like I, I was a, you know, Navy SEAL in wickedness. You know what I mean? And I think that there are people that can relate with that. And, and that's not to be, you know, we want to be novices when it comes to sin and that which is evil. We want to be simple concerning those kinds of things. You know, I think about when uh, one of the first construction jobs I had, you know, they always will do this to you. They're going to make up a fake tool and then send you on the hunt to find it. And they'll usually assign it a color or something like that because it's like a a board stretcher, you know, or something like that. But uh, you know what color it is, so it's yellow. And so you're digging around in the truck and you're just looking for something yellow. And then you look up and the whole crew is on the roof just laughing at you, okay? And that's, you know, in some ways that's kind of the idea. You, You want to be just... A klutz when it comes to to evil. You want to be a novice. You want to be simple. You don't want to be special forces, highly trained in wickedness. You want to be a novice, just kind of simple, as it were. You know, you don't have to know all of the nuances of of contemporary pop culture around us. You don't need to know all the movies all the music. You know, my, my wife often teases me because anytime I make a reference to anything pop culture, it's like 15 years ago because I don't know what it, what, what, who's any of these people are anymore. I don't know who they are, the movies, you know, and it's just like, last thing I can remember is, is from like the, the early 2000s and that's a good thing. You know, I want to keep it that way, quite frankly. And so we want to be proficient in godliness. We want to be well-trained And godliness effective in godliness you know i thought about this there was another crew i used to work with and you know we would oftentimes cut up with each other and and so we would always tease each other and always making jokes at each other's expense and it became like a game and we're always trying to one-up each other and you get better and better at it as you go and then finally one day it dawned on me i'm getting way too good at cutting people down here and I got really convicted, and I thought I would rather be very proficient in building people up than encouraging each other. I don't want to be proficient in how to tear them into a hundred pieces, right? And so, you know, I, that just really stuck with me. You know, I want to be proficient in godliness. I want to excel in godliness, building people up. I want to be a novice in, in sin and, and wickedness, as it were, but proficient, efficient in the things of God. And that's necessary, to be a family, to be a family that protects each other, that preserves this community, people who are solid in doctrine and solid in character. All right, in verse 20, he says, "...the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen." So God, who is the God of peace, he says, "...the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly." You know, the God who is the God of peace, I love that. You know we, There was a time when we didn't know peace. We had no peace. We were at enmity with God. And there was no peace in our lives, in our hearts. But the God of peace sought us out. And He made us children of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Reconciled us to Himself through the cross. Our sins that we had to pay for, that we had to give an account to God for one day in judgment. If we would believe on Jesus Christ and trust Him, that our sins would be paid for on the cross there. They would be removed from us. And then we would be children of God. That is the good news of the Gospel. And with that comes the peace of God. There is no more judgment. There is no more fear. There is no more striving, working, toiling, laboring to be good enough. There is no more worrying about the next life. There is peace in God through the God of peace. And that is ours through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And He says that God, the God of peace, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I love this. He'll crush Satan's head under our feet. It's God who does the crushing. Amen? It's God who will do, who will fight. It's God who wins the battle, but it gets accredited to us somehow. That's one of the glorious things about the gospel. We weren't looking to God. God came after us. There was nothing that we could do to earn or save ourselves, but God saved us. Then God gives us gifts to serve Him with, and then when it's all said and done, God rewards us for all the things that He gave to us. Isn't that amazing? That's the glory of the Gospel. That's the beauty of the Gospel. And so uh, Paul says the God of peace will crush Satan's head under your feet shortly. There's this idea of the already and not yet. Satan has already been defeated. He has been defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus rose again from the grave, He declared victory over sin, over death, over Satan. But there is coming a time when He will be completely taken out. He will be gone and forever destroyed and removed. And we look forward to that day. Paul says it will come shortly, suddenly. And then this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's the anchor of it all, folks. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace, the kindness of our Lord His steadfast love. His mercy that endures forever. It's a gift. It's free. It's freely given to anyone who would trust in Him. To anyone who would call upon His name. You can't pay for it. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough to have it. It's given freely because God is the God of grace. He's a gracious God and a loving God. And all of this... Everything that that we have seen throughout the book of Romans, it's ours in Christ by God's grace. Praise God for His grace. Amen? And if you don't know that grace, if you haven't experienced that grace, if you haven't received that saving grace of Jesus Christ, you can today. You can right now. It's being freely extended to you as I stand here and speak. And so if that's you, and you haven't come to know the Lord in a saving way Today is the day. There's no reason to wait a moment longer. Just call upon His name. You can call upon His name. You can pray to Him. Say, Lord, I need You. I've messed up. I know I've messed up. Would You please forgive me? Would You save me? Would You be my Lord? I'll follow You. I'll turn. I'll turn to You today, right now. You can do that. And God, by His grace, will receive you. He'll receive you with open arms and an open heart. And we will do the same. We'll celebrate with you as a member of our family, a new member. We'll embrace you just the same. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God, we love You. We praise You. We thank You for Your grace. And we thank You for family. We thank You that we have been welcomed into a family, God. Thank you for uh, this appreciation that that we experience and express one to another as members of God's family. And Father, I pray for the preservation of this family here, for the protection of this family. May we be a family, Lord, who are solid in, in doctrine, solid in character, and looking out for one another, strengthening one another. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your kindness towards us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.